Before we jump into today's episode, if you haven't already, go check out Ostrich. We're all about improving your financial literacy, financial well-being, and helping you get to where you want to be financially. And uh, we've actually rolled out a really cool program that I'm excited to announce. It's called Shares for Shares. And we're actually giving away shares of stock in our company uh, for sharing our network and helping grow the network. So go to getostrich.com, sign up, start sharing, and you can earn uh, a limited number of referral shares that we've got available. Hey everyone, welcome to Silicon Alley Podcast. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. On the Silicon Alley Podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, business leaders, executives that talk about their journeys and how life is like as an entrepreneur and things are actually unfolding in real time. And on today's episode, I have Ralph Peterson. Now, before I get into Ralph and his background, make sure that you have subscribed and follow the podcast so that you get notifications when the latest episode drops every Friday. And of course, share the podcast with others that you think would get value. Now on today's episode, I have Ralph Peterson, who is the owner and operator of a management development company that helps mission-driven organizations dramatically increase profitability, improve efficiency, and grow their companies by building five-star leadership teams. Ralph is also a number one best-selling author, professional keynote speaker, highly sought-after management development coach, and master examiner within the American Healthcare Association. Now, Ralph has more than 20 years in the trenches of senior management, organizational development, and human resources in the long-term care industry. He's consulted to a wide variety of industries, large and small, bringing a practical approach, sound advice, and a great sense of humor to the table. He lives in New York City and is a retired U.S. Marine and avid marathoner. So in today's conversation, we go really deep into management and some of the misconceptions that uh, especially young managers have. And this is something that really hit home because when I first moved into a management position, I made a lot of these mistakes, had the same mindset shift. And Ralph approaches it in a very interesting way. So I think that you're going to really like today's conversation with Ralph Peterson. So without further ado, let's get to it. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Hey Ralph, welcome Calling to the Silicon Alley Podcast. Excited to have you on today. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to have you on for a couple of reasons. So I'm interested to hear the military background and how that has translated into um, the rest of your life and what you've been doing in terms of coaching management teams. Uh, you've got a lot of experience and really excited to be able to share that with the audience today. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. It's where I grew up, military. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So what, how did you get into the military? Like, what's your story? Who is Ralph Peterson? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm a third generation Marine. My grandfather's a Marine. My dad was a Marine. And ever since I was little, I couldn't wait to, to be a Marine. But as life happens, you get a little curveball here and there. So I wanted to go in the Marine Corps when I was 18. I didn't end up going until I was 26, if you can imagine. So I was wow, okay. way old <laughs> when, I, when I finally was able to get there. You know what's funny is I really thought I was a grown man at 26. I mean, you think about it. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I had lived. I had a child. I, was, I had been married. I mean, I had jobs. I had... <laughs> I really thought I had it together in the Marine Corps. Man, do they have a really great ability to show you how much you don't have it together, how much you really do need some good lessons in, in discipline and structure and, you know, working with other people. And, you know, 
it, it was an amazing experience. Like it changed my life, completely changed my life. Yeah. Best thing I've ever done. That's awesome. And ran in the family and sounds like you, you had essentially lived a, a life before, but like what, what led you into the Marines at 26? What was, what was the, the drive? Yeah, I always wanted to be a Marine. So here's, okay. here's, here's the thing. And I think this is at the crux of everybody who wants to get into leadership, everybody who wants to be a manager. I was the youngest of four. And as the youngest of four, I never was in control of anything, not the remote control, not what game we played, <laughs> not what side I was on, you know, you name it, I had zero control. On top of that, I always wanted to be, I always felt like I was, I could be better than everybody else. Like I, I was never the fastest runner, but I felt like I could be the fastest runner. I was never okay. the smartest, but I felt like I could have been the smartest. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the Marine Corps is I never, I've never looked at another branch. As soon as I found out that, and I have no idea what age I found out, but I found out that the Marine Corps was the best of all the military. I never even gave it a consideration. I, I don't know what the Air Force is. I don't know what the Army is. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know anything about, all I know is that the Marine Corps is a step above all of them. So I never wanted to be anything but a Marine. So, okay. I don't even, my whole life, I always wanted to be a Marine. I, and it's the same thing in leadership. The only reason why people are pursuing a, a field of leadership, whether it's a management or a supervisor, is because they want to be better. They want, they want that top spot. We want to be in charge. I mean, it's just, it's ingrained in us. Yeah. No, that's interesting, drawing that, that comparison. So then I guess the real question is, why did it take you so long to become a Marine? If you ended up oh, well, going to 26. <laughs> <laughs> that's even easier. I had a child way earlier than I had ever anticipated having a child. And so when that happened, I mean, it was a showstopper. You couldn't just pack up and go to boot camp if you have a kid. So um, it took another six years, seven years. And then I was like, okay, now I can go. Because he, he was a lot more mobile at yeah. that point. So he could come with and all that. So. That was the only reason. Otherwise, I would have been there at 18, 19, you know, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, yeah. life throws curveballs and you take them as they come. It, it certainly does. It certainly does. And you know what? I got, I got to say, like, it, I wish I had gone when I was 18, but like college and anything else, I, I don't know that I would have gotten what I got out of it if I went in at 18 as opposed to 26. You know, I it, having a kid know that you haven't, you know, you don't have any, you know, blow off time. You're just all in, you're all in, you're all in, you know. So it's better. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't do it the other way. So I don't know the comparison. I know that sometimes. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So what were some of the things that you learned as a Marine in the military, like things that you have taken with you um, throughout the rest of your career? You know, I, I learned a lot of, I learned there are a lot of stupid things that you think were obvious. Like number one, being loud and aggressive really helps, really works. I mean, do you know why people honk their horn? Because it works. Because people get out of the way, because people snap their head around. You know, so prior to the Marine Corps, I had had some flirting love affairs with leadership. And I was always the, the high five, pat on the back, rainbows and Tootsie Pops. You know, I was like that kind of a leader. Like, you know, we're all in this together. Let's just, you know, get it done. And I was super ineffective. In the Marine Corps, it's you, you know, snap, let's go, let's go. I mean, it's, it's, 
without thinking um, that that attitude, the 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 standing tall, the boisterousness of it, the knowing and, and respecting the chain of command and being part of that chain of command. That's that's one thing that I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed as he, as my when I first got my leadership position that the way to be most effective is to be loud and to be aggressive. Now, there's a dichotomy, of course. I mean, I, I, there you there has to be both sides. But I'm telling you, I did not have that side prior to going to the Marine Corps. The other thing, the other thing that I really learned about the Marine Corps is you get you don't, you, it's, you don't it's not like you get one shot at it because you get more than one. But you have to be effective from the beginning. You can't say let's go and then run nowhere. Yeah. If you say let's go and start running and, and it gets you somewhere, everybody's willing to listen to you again. But if you say let's go and you run nowhere, eh, people are like, you know, last time he said that he didn't go anywhere. So the not only being loud and aggressive, but also having a mission and a focus point and a direction okay. and going, that is that has, I'm telling you, those two things together has made me super effective. And, and, and when I'm training new managers, it's what makes them not effective. They don't want to speak up. Oh my gosh. One of the speaking up, having the ability to say, that's not right. You're doing that wrong. Hey, check yourself, watch the eye rolls. Having the ability to, to speak up like that is lacking. Oh my gosh, is it lacking? I, I work with managers every day and I'm like, why didn't you call you know, calling that? Why didn't you say something about that? You know, there's a misnomer. People think managers think, especially new managers, mm -hmm. not just new managers, but a lot of managers think that they should choose their battles. You ever heard that phrase? Oh, you gotta choose your battles. Oh, you gotta choose your battles. Let me tell you, let me give you a little secret. Every battle that you choose to ignore, you lose. Yeah. You lose. I mean, yeah. The eye roll, the attitude, don't want to deal with it. You just lost that battle. Just, just know. It's okay. It's fine. All right. So you lost it. You lost it. Just know that every time you say, oh, I'm not going to deal with it, you lost it. So it's not like you put it on a shelf. You can deal with it later. No, no, no. That deal with it later is another battle, a whole new battle, a whole different battle. And you're already behind the eight ball. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like the, I don't know, the, whether it's Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan, everyone miss Nomer's quote, but you miss 100% of the shots you don't take is almost what you're saying there, right? A million percent, a million percent. And I know how overwhelming leadership can be, especially if you have you know, employees that are in a high stress situation. I work in healthcare. And to say that yeah. we work in a high stress situation, forget the coronavirus. Even prior to the coronavirus, it was a high stress situation. <laughs> And so yeah. people get, it's easy to get edgy. It's easy to get on each other's nerves. It's easy to snap and all that. And so I know managers who are like, listen, if I pay, if I chose every battle, all I'd be doing is choosing battles. And I get that you think that, but the truth is the only reason why they're escalating all those little battles is because you've never addressed them. You've yeah. never addressed them. You know, the idea of dressing, de addressing decorum, the way people act towards each other in the work workforce, that's one of those things that that's an easy thing to highlight right through a general orientation, right? When you're hiring somebody, Hey, listen, we don't treat each other like this. This is, we don't have those conversations anymore. Now it's judgment. Oh, you can't be judgy. You know, don't say that. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. It's better to hide in your office and avoid the battle than it is to ignore the battle when it's happening. Marine Corps, get some. Yeah. Marine <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting advice. And so like for, for myself, for example, so I, um, started off in sales and then ended up 
um, quickly moving into a management position. And one of the things was you never want to be that. Um, and it was common. It was my mindset at the time. And it was mindset across the board was, oh, I don't want to micromanage people. I don't want to, um, you know, I, I want to lead and have a boss that I, you know, enjoy. And that's what I want to be. But at the same time, I know that I was not nearly as effective as I could have been. And I'm still working on becoming a better leader and manager and all that stuff. But I know that I made a lot of mistakes. So I'm, I'm curious, like how, what would you say to someone with that mindset of the, yeah, I don't want to be a micromanager and like, you know. Yeah, this is what I would say. So let me say a couple of things. We, we get it wrong when we first start managing. Our dream of being a manager, you know, in our head, we think, I remember, I remember when I was an assistant manager, I thought my manager, my boss was a moron, like a complete idiot. Like every decision he made, I was like, I would have totally made a better decision. I would have totally <laughs> done it this way. I would have, I, in my own head, you know, I didn't verbalize this stuff, just doing it in my own head. I was like, I can't wait to be in charge. When I'm going to be in charge, I'm going to tell you what, people are not going to have car issues. They're not going to oversleep ever. I mean, they, they're not going to, they're going to love working for me so much that they're going to, they're going to do everything they can to not let me down. Of course, I lived in a fairy tale, right? And <laughs> it's that fairy tale that I think most, I wish somebody explained to me the difference between reality and fairy tale in a management situation. Like, let's just take this for an example. You don't want to be a micromanager. And if you listen to any staff, they'll say, I don't want to be micromanaged. Here's, mm -hmm. the, here's the reality for a manager. You don't have the choice. I don't have the choice. Whether I want to be a micromanager or not isn't up to me. It's not up to me. I only have the staff I have. Some of my staff, I tell them one thing, I can give them a list of 100 things with a checklist and I never have to talk to them again until they're on 100. They will just get everything done. Then there are other people yeah. I can't give two things to without constantly having to go back and check on them. Now I can complain. I can be like, I can't believe I shouldn't have to be on top of grown adults and just watching them. You should take your shouldn't have tos and throw them away. They're totally useless in management because it's not about whether you should have to or shouldn't have to. It's what you do have to. It, so okay. I don't want to be a micromanager is a, is, a, is a ridiculous statement because here's the thing. If you're going to be an effective leader, you're going to have to micromanage some and you're not going to have to micromanage others. Now, there are some that you have to micromanage today that tomorrow they're going to get a little better and you can have to do a little less micromanaging. And there are some who you yeah. don't never have to micromanage today, but tomorrow you might have to get after them a little bit. That's the nature of human beings. You know, I might, I might address a problem the same way with two different people and get two different results. The same way I address it doesn't work yeah. all the time with the same people, you know. Absolutely, that, yeah. I can, there's a bunch of things like that. Like, I grew up, my mom said that you should treat people the way you always want to be treated. Have you ever heard that statement? Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, it's, it's like the tenements of how to get respect by giving <laughs> a little respect, right? Well, in management, I have to treat people the way they need to be treated, which is way different than the way I would want to be treated sometimes. Because as a manager, let me, let me be clear with you. And every manager, especially yeah. if you're thinking about being a manager, you're brand new and about being a manager, you're wondering what it's all about. Managing is about having difficult conversations with difficult people. If it wasn't that, we wouldn't need you. There wouldn't be a position for management. If we didn't need you to have difficult conversations, eyeball to eyeball with difficult people. And it's not like they're difficult people all the time. It's that 
You ever talk to somebody about poor performance? It's difficult. And that person doesn't agree that their performance is lacking. It makes it even more difficult because so they become a difficult person in a difficult situation. And there you are, the manager, having to address it. We yeah. have difficult conversations with difficult people. That means sometimes I have to treat people the way I would never want to be treated. Here's one. Here's a great one. And I could okay. do this all day, by the way. Here's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just misnomers. They really are. They're well-intentioned. They truly are. You should, every time somebody does a good job, just let everybody know that they did it. Oh, you did such a great job. And if they, if they talk to them about anything serious, bring them into a room with no windows, a steel door so nobody could hear or speak in hushed tones. The problem with that is the employees that mm -hmm. work at, let's say you have three employees and one of them is always late and you decide, you know what, after the third day of them being late, because they're not getting their work done because they're always late. And it means the other two people have to do more work because they're always like, where the hell is this guy? And I decide yeah. I'm going to have a talking to him privately. So I pull him into my office and I say, hey, you know, you got to stop this. You got to get in on time. This is what time we start. It's really important to the team. You're holding everybody back. It doesn't look good. And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll try better. And then he goes out of my office to see those other two employees. And they say, did Ralph talk to you? And you know what he says? No, he didn't talk to me about anything. He never said anything to me. Even if I wrote him up, he'd go, I never got written up. What are you talking about? No. And now all of a sudden, I just lost confidence of those two employees. Now those two employees are saying, well, if that was me, oh my gosh, if that was, if I did that, I guarantee he would have written me up. That is why it, it, it's all about perception and fairness. Mm -hmm. The only currency that an employee has, the only thing that they decide whether or not you're a good boss or a bad boss is if you're fair. You yeah. could double the work for them. You can say, hey, today, the two of you are going to make 100 cars. And tomorrow, you're going to go, you know what? The two of you are going to make 200 cars, but you're going to make 125, and you're going to make 75. The one making 125 is going to call BS, throw the flag, slow down, take 80 bathroom breaks, because fairness is all that matters. Now, if you said, hey, yeah. yesterday, we made 100. Today, we need to make 200. Let's get, get it on. I guarantee nine out of 10 employees would be like, as long as we're all in it together, no problem. Let's go. We can do this. We'll take down the entire world. I don't care. As long as all of us are fair. As soon as it's not fair, get it. You're going to lose the confidence of your team faster than you've ever got the position. That's why it's so important that when you write somebody up or you have to discipline somebody, if nobody's there to see it, it didn't, you're not getting credit for it. You need to get credit for it. You ever heard that whole, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, doesn't make noise, right? It's the same kind of thing. Like if nobody heard it and the employees, I mean, who would ever admit? Who would ever go, oh my God, Ralph chewed me out so bad yesterday. You wouldn't believe he threatened me this. He threatened me that. He made me sign this right up. Nobody's saying that. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody's admitting it. They're all like, no, of course, nothing. I'll tell you, on the flip side, I've also done the wrong thing the other way where I've praised publicly. I've even accidentally used terms like, oh, you know, you're my favorite. Now that's mm. not fair, right? So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you are always killing it. I can rely on you all the time. And there's five other employees and they're like, what about us? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you guys too. Yeah, you guys are okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that gets you into trouble for sure. So that's how it is. And there's a lot of these little things when you first start managing, you think pie in the sky, this is how it's going to be. And in reality, it's, it's 
generally the opposite, generally the opposite. So how do you overcome these sort of like, you know, perceptions, right? You're a new manager or maybe you're an established manager, but you realize, you know what, I haven't been nearly as effective as I ought to be or want to be. How do you overcome these sort of perceptions and just way that things are, are done, so to speak? I, I think two things. One, the best thing that I, the best recommendation I can give anybody is to find a tribe. You know, find somebody like me. I, I train managers for a living. And that means I have a really big tribe of people. All we do is talk about management. I, I have calls with friends and we're just go for a walk together. He's over there, I'm over here. And we're just like, what did you do about this? And what do you think about that? Because management is different than say automobile development. Like if you were to say, hey, let's go, I'm gonna mm-hmm. you know, come to work in a factory and I'm gonna show you how to stamp out a fender. So come over to this machine, yeah. you take this piece of metal, you put it inside, you press that button, you wait for it to press, you pull it out, boom, there's a thing. You can repeat that all day. Let me now show you how to stamp out a carburetor. Now let me show you how to make a tire, right? We can do all that all day with machines. Management, it's like, hey, uh, now we've, let's go, try to upset this lady so she can give us a bad attitude so we can practice writing people up. I mean, of course you can't do that. And so you have to go through all those soft skill scenarios through a talking with other people, people who are, have done it or people who are questioning it, people who have succeeded and failed. So I think one of the big things is really having somebody to talk to openly and honestly about management. Just so, it's usually the person who hired you, usually. Although there have been times, I just ran into a situation so I'm always talking to brand new managers. I'm mm-hmm. always helping the brand new, the super worker to supervisor. Companies hire me. They say, hey, listen, we don't have a very good management training program, but we do have a, pretty good, a couple of candidates we'd love to, to bring up. And so I go, okay. So I go and I talk to them and a week, two, three weeks goes by and I'll follow up with them and I'll find out that who I should have been talking to first is the hiring manager because the person who promoted them is the one who needed the education first, because this is one of the common things that they forget is a, just because they talked to me for a couple of hours about management doesn't mean they have any practical experience. They have none. It's all theory at this point. That's number one. Number two, confidence takes time to build and you've got to get in there and make mistakes in order to build confidence. And a lot of people are impatient. They don't want, they can't afford mistakes. They don't let new managers make any, so they don't make any decisions. It can be a real big challenge for the new manager to come up under somebody who is, they're expecting results right away. They're expecting that new manager to hit the ground running. You know, they're going to be able to successfully turn that team around. It's their first time managing. It's completely unrealistic. I see that all the time. The other thing that I would say is to read. You've got to read. You've got to listen to podcasts. You've got to listen to books on tape. You've got to, I mean, management is a, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you're in housekeeping, auto mechanics, if you're in sales, it doesn't matter. That is a subcategory if you want to be a manager. Managing is the main thing I do. I am a manager. Forget the field. The field is, I could manage in any field because my specialty is management. And if you want to be an effective manager, you've got to kind of separate yourself from the field you're in into this new field Mm -hmm. and immerse yourself into management development getting the theories and trying to figure out the best way to do it. You do need foundational experience and skill set in the job you're in, in the industry you're in. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't, yeah. that's not helpful. It's certainly helpful, but management is its own thing. Interesting. Yeah. 
makes a lot of sense. And I, I, you know, I'm curious now that everything's going on with COVID and remote work and that being a primary thing for a, a large group of people and probably will continue to be here. How do you think about managing in a remote environment and a remote culture? I've been loving it, to be honest. I went from seeing my team of managers every once a week, essentially, you know, cause I'm just traveling and, and I do a lot of traveling. And so I'm not seeing everybody every day. And I have a director sure. of operations who works for me and he sees them every day, but I've kind of been the off. I'm, I'm a little bit above that. So I'm not seeing the managers every day. Since we started the lockdown and we're still working in nursing homes, still have to go into nursing homes, but in my position, it, nobody wants me to go from nursing home to nursing home to nursing home. We don't want people traveling from one nursing home to another. Oh, yeah. So I set up my command center. I have calls. I have a standing call at one o'clock every day with my management team, a Zoom call. We're, I have had more communication with everyone. I'm doing tours. We get on FaceTime. We do a Zoom call on tour with a phone. I'm like, show me the building. Let me walk around. They're having an issue. Bring me to it. I, I'm doing virtual seminars i'm doing virtual training i'm doing tours i have i have a stronger relationship with my management team right now than i've ever had and i don't see them and, I, and i'm not physically with them this has forced wow. me to be a lot better at knowing what i need and what they need and trying to be super supportive from afar and you know it's kind of like it, this is going to be a, a terrible analogy but when I was in the Marine Corps and I was in boot camp and then I had to go to school of infantry, my son was seven. And yes. so he couldn't be in the school of infantry with me. He couldn't, and I was there for three months. I was in boot camp for three months, right? So mm -hmm. that's six months. That's a long time. The school of infantry, because I was away every night or away every, for three months, I was super responsive to, we had a better relationship in those three months when I was away, a closer relationship than I was when I was with them. Because when I'm with them, you know, it's his mom and I, and she's doing this, and I'm, you know, whether you see him off the bed or not see him off the bed, when I'm in the school of infantry, I read to him every night. When I'm in the school of infantry, I talked to him every day because it was the only chance. And so, you, low, you know, you only have this small window of time, this small window of, of ability to see or communicate, then you want to get everything in, you want to be super responsive. That's what it's like now. It's like, I'm, it, it's so, fantastic it's you should see my war room i have schedules up and you know <laughs> dates and you know i mean i can you know it's tuesday morning i'm like i know we're doing this 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 and this and then you're doing this this where did you get me you get me this get me that you know it's do you need this you know and it, it's for me yeah we've we've really been able to roll with it and make a it's been really positive really really positive that's awesome that's awesome. Are you seeing that your the man the team that you have your managers and those teams are, are um, enjoying it as well? They're also you know finding um, this super valuable. A million percent. A million percent. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And I asked them that. I asked them that very question as well because you know here's a thing that I need to remind myself of every single day because it's something that it's so easy to forget in my position and in, in any manager's position. And I manage managers. So, you know, to the same extent for me as if you were a manager managing staff. Yeah. Every time you have an encounter with one of your teammates is an opportunity for you to further develop your personal relationship with them. 
And you should always take that opportunity. It's a little hard because, you know, this morning I'm talking about payroll. And why did we have overtime? There's 11 hours of overtime. There's no, did we, did we need the overtime? Could we, you know, what can we do this week to not have overtime next week? All right. This weekend was a, was crappy. Okay. So how, what's staffing look like this week? You know what I mean? Like that's where I'm at at the same time. I'm like, keep in mind, you got to keep developing that relationship. By the way, being soft is not the way you develop a relationship, right? Having, being a good, being a good friend doesn't mean that you roll over for your friend. It means sometimes that you go, Hey, you're really messing up. You shouldn't be hanging out with that person, you know, or, (laughs) you know, so there, there is a little bit of that, but if you keep in mind, even just 50%, if you just half the time you remember, every time you're talking to somebody that's an opportunity to further develop a good relationship with that person, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's not going to be anybody who will not bust through a wall for you. And when you're in management, that is the only goal of yours, is to get people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Otherwise, they wouldn't need you. Management is only getting people to do something they wouldn't be doing. If I have staff, they're like, we don't need management. I'm saving the money. I'm not going to spend the money on management. Why would I? <laughs> yeah, of course. Fair of course, it's the opposite because I get a lot of employees. They say, how do, how do we get a raise? Like, I want to know how to make more money. I'm like, seriously, because it's so easy. They're like, really? How is it? I go, stop needing so much management. Management's expensive. That's what it is. Yeah. If you stop needing oversight, I'll give you more money. As a matter of fact, you stop needing oversight. I'm going to promote you to management. So there it is, sucker. No. <laughs> Good luck, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you're really good all right how you ever thought about being in charge (laughs) that's how it goes no it's it's interesting because you know i i would hear this a lot and i'm sure you do as well and what you've kind of hinted at without saying it is that people hate to be thought of that they're being micromanaged but they want um accountability and accountability people see in a positive light of saying i have goals help me make sure that i hit them and i need you to hold me accountable and you know, that's what I, that's what I'm hearing and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really what I'm hearing you say when you, when you're talking about, when you were talking about micromanaging or getting loud is being accountable and being a good partner. A million percent. I, I let me throw a couple of small things at you. One, I'm going to say probably a hundred percent in my own experience, a hundred percent of the people who say they don't want to be micromanaged are the ones who truly cannot walk in a straight line. You cannot yeah. send them to a closet to get something without them going outside for something else in the, on, in the process, you know, they just simply can't, if you don't walk yeah. with them. So a hundred percent of the people that I have to truly micromanage, they're the ones who complain about it. And it's because they really truly need it. On the other side, to further expand on, on the other thing that you were saying is uh, Abraham Maslow had this, he does this hierarchy of needs thing. But one of the things that he really highlighted is, in management, it's important to pay attention to grumbles, uh, complainers, right? So compl- mm-hmm. he calls it a grumble. Let's just call it a complainer. It's very important to pay attention to complaints, but it's more, the reason that you do is to try to find out the caliber of the complaint. So if you're hearing employees complain about things like um, pay, you know, they don't make enough money or... Uh, they're having problems at home or their car's always breaking down or stuff. Those are valuable, you know, complaints, but they're very low, they're very low on a management scale. Those are things that you hear and you let go here and let go here and let go. That's just called the grumble. Now a meta grumble. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. A meta grumble is when you overhear an employee say, you know, I could have done that better if they'd have let me do it. Or I'm just not being valued here. You know, I mean, I could, I'm worth so much more. I could do so much more than what I'm doing. Oh, that's sweet music to a manager's ear. Who's paying attention? 
See, that person has the potential, the desire to do more. They have the desire to, to grow. You either have to let that person go find some bigger opportunity, maybe because you don't have, or give them more responsibility, a bigger opportunity. I'll tell you, I meet people all the time who want to be a manager. I'm a big fan of, I try to promote every single person I ever talk to. You ever thought about being in charge? And they're like, that's my first job. I'm day two. I don't know. Do you need? <laughs> <laughs> and the truth is, yes, we are so lacking in leadership in every industry across the entire world. It doesn't matter where it is. Management is so lack. We don't have enough. We don't have enough people who have the ability, the skill set, the desire to stand up and say, I'll do it. I'll take responsibility, which is what leadership is taking responsibility. We just don't have enough. So I'm always trying to recruit. Yeah. Well, why do you think it is we don't have enough? What do you think's lacking that we just- Oh my God. Oh my God. You, here, you ready for this? It's <laughs> super hard. That's why. Makes it's super sense. hard. It is, it is one, it's actually one of the, I have like five uh, lies that all new managers believe before they get into a leadership position. And one of them is they all think it's going to be easier than it is. They all think, because they've been watching people in charge forever. And they're like, oh, I could totally do that. I could do it 10 times better than them. They have no idea. They're completely misguided on how much work it is, how much time it takes. Um, it's crazy. Here's a statistic for you. In America, it's estimated about 5 million people a year are promoted to leadership. 5 million. Now, that's going from a worker to a supervisor or a front front end clerk, you know, a front end manager or an assistant manager or from, a, you know, from an assistant manager to a manager. That little transaction happens 5 million times a year. Here's the problem with that. 3.3 million, two thirds fail in the first 90 days. Fail. Wow. And, and here's what's terrible about that failure. Let me just explain to you what that failure means. You have an employee that you absolutely love. Like if you could duplicate them, if I had 10 of you, oh my God, I'd be so great. That's the employee I'm talking about. I mean, they're on time, they're professional, they can sell anything to anyone or they can get anything done. They never need to be micromanaged. They are always on top of that. You love them. You love them. And a leadership position opens up and you sidle up to them and you're like, hey, Bob's leaving. Do you want to be a manager? You want the office? I can get you a little more and more money, get that little, little badge that says manager, I'm in charge, huh? you want that? And they're like, I don't know. Do you think I can? I, I think you can. The way you work and the way you are with everybody, you'd be I'm sure and perfect for it. Within 90 days, less than three months, you're going to do one or two things to that employee. You're going to demote them, which is brutal. It's terrible. Have you, could you imagine going from yesterday, you were with your team and you're just an employee like everybody else and everybody's comfortable. And then today you're like, hey, I'm over you. And then tomorrow you're back in that team. Super challenging. Not a lot of people can make that transition. Or yeah. worse, you have to fire them. Take your best worker, the one you can't live without right now, and fire them. That happens two-thirds of every time you try to promote a new manager. So it's challenging. It's challenging. Yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I can think of so many times where I've seen that happen. Um, you know, or eventually like a company grows to a certain level and then you get to a level where that manager is ineffective, not because they were a bad manager, but the dynamic has changed. The needs have changed. What the organization needs and the people need has changed. And you know what else funny is 
is you'll hear it a lot and, and it, it generally drives me crazy, but I, I hear it so often. I don't even, every time I hear it, I try to call, I try to speak up, but I, you know, can't always speak up. And that is when somebody will say, well, just because they're a good worker doesn't mean they're going to make a good manager. I mean, I could have told you that. Listen, for all of you who say that all the time, let me, <laughs> let me just, let me just say this. We don't have any choice. We don't. When we're looking to promote somebody, we can't say, oh my God, who's the worst employee? Oh, you know who'd be really great for the management job? She's not here because she called out again and she never gets her work done, but man, she'd be great in charge. No, you would never say that. Yeah. You, your only choice is to look at the people who you can rely on. Yeah. The best workers. And so yeah, right, you're absolutely right. The best worker doesn't mean that they will make a good manager. That's true. Two thirds of the time, you're right. But I'll say this 100% of the bad workers will never make a good manager. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not a mathematician, but that's the other thing. When you're promoting somebody, you really have to, one of the things that you're weighing as a hiring manager to promote somebody is you are thinking, you know, will people follow that person? Will people believe that person's in charge? That's a big challenge that we have for young managers. Some, I, I work yeah. with a lot of young people who I just work with a, a young lady. She's probably 23, 24. And every, she just got promoted her first time. And everybody that she is now in charge of are older than her. And so who do you think has the biggest problem with her age? Yeah. Who do you think? Who do you think? Oh, she probably does. She probably does. She does. That's exactly right. She can't get over it. She's like, the way they look at me, the way this, I'm not really sure. They're older than me. I don't know if I, she's the one. Nobody else has the problem. Because listen, if they wanted to be in charge, they would have been. Yeah. But they didn't oh, yeah. want to They be. probably already made that mistake. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're looking at her like sucker. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> good luck. Uh, you'll be fine, you know. So I yeah. told her, I said, I said uh, she's like, how do I get over it? You know, how do I, how do I do it? I said, I said, the best thing to do is change your vernacular. Stop going, I'm in charge of these people now. Yeah, you're not in charge of anything. You're just responsible now. So it's the same job, but now you're responsible. So change your vernacular. Go from I am in charge to I'm responsible. It's a lot more palatable. And it's, and it's the truth. It's the truth. You're now responsible. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. So yeah. I had someone on a, um, before who was talking about remote work and leads to engineering teams specifically. And that's the way that he described his job was my job is to get out, get um, the resources to the people that need them and remove as many roadblocks as possible so my people can do what they do. And that's really exactly. my job as a manager. Exactly. Serve your staff. Serve your, make sure that they, because the last thing, could you imagine being an employee who's being accountable to get a job done that they're relying on another employee who's not getting their job done? I mean, I don't, there's not a person in the world. Well, I wouldn't say there's not a person in the world, but there's, I'll say this, there's not a good worker in the world who wants to stand around. Yeah. They all want to work. They want to be valuable. They want to do something they can, they can brag about and be proud of. I can't tell you how many times I have gone home and bragged to my wife. Oh my God, this. And every time I'm bragging, I'm bragging about something we accomplished over and above that we were ever supposed to or nobody ever thought we could. And it feels so great to be able to do that. Yeah. And I know that there are some people that work for me who go home and it's the opposite. They're complaining because they didn't get that done. And I know this is going to happen tomorrow and that's going to be like this and this is never going to change. And 
So it's super important to serve your staff. Make sure they have all the time, the tools, and the training they need to get done what they need to get done. You know what? Everybody wants to be a hero. Everybody. If you have children, you should know. I don't care if you have one kid or 18 of them. Every single one of them want to be a hero. And by the way, that's what definition of a manager. Every manager I've ever met, they want to be a hero. They're like, I'll step up. I'll say yes. I'll be the first in the firing line. But you better give me credit. You better yeah. give me credit. Because I'm, I'm willing to put on the cape. Every yeah. person I've ever met willing to put on that cape is a hero. Every one of them. Yeah. Or, or wants to be a hero. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any good stories from folks that you've worked with um, about how they have turned around their management from maybe being what you described earlier is really soft and, you know, allowing those battles to, to sort of be lost and not addressing problems to uh, really stepping into their own and becoming extremely effective? You know what, actually, there, well, let me just say this. There, there was this one time. So a lot of times we put managers with managers, especially an older or an experienced manager with a new manager. So we'll shadow people, right? And in that shadowing is where I've had a lot of problems, a lot of complications where I'll put, okay a new manager under another manager. And then I go and I find, I go to check in and I'll go to an office and I'll find at 10 o'clock in the morning, break was at nine o'clock, by the way, at 10 o'clock in the morning, the old manager's got his feet up on the desk telling war stories to the new manager. Neither one of them are doing anything. All the employees are up on the units working, yeah. needing management help, some oversight, some support, probably some supplies. And I have the new manager not knowing that this isn't acceptable. I mean, I thought when you get the manager, you get to play Candy Crush and sit in your office all day. You know, I thought that's, <laughs> isn't that what you're allowed to do? So that has happened to me more times than often. And when, I, when it first happened to me, I pulled my old manager aside and was like, what are you doing? This is not the way to go about this. You know, you're setting a terrible example, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And wasn't able to make that new manager work. It never happened. So then one day it happened and it just pissed me off and I spoke right when they were together. So I go in the office and it's the same kind of thing. They're smoking and joking. I go, why are we not working? And the new manager is like, oh, I, I don't. And the old manager is like, are you really doing this? I go, yes, I'm really doing this. This is, a, this is, and I say to the new manager, by the way, this is exactly how you do not behave. Don't follow his lead. I apologize for putting you with him because you're clearly not giving the right example. All you're doing is setting him up for failure because there's no chance you're going to be able to succeed if you're sitting in here, yeah. like if you're doing what he did. Matter of fact, I don't even know why you're in here. Like why you don't, and all of a sudden this yeah. man, the new manager is like, Oh, okay, hold on. Wait. Okay. All right. And this guy's like, all right, hold on. <laughs> That's the only time I've ever had success is when you call people out in a group. It's like, you know, you know what else I yeah. learned? It's super funny is, and it's, it's goes along that same line of, of reprimanding publicly when I have to write up a manager, I'll go to another manager's office and ask them for a write-up. I'll go, hey, do you have a write-up slip? And they're like, uh, yeah, do you, why? Is there anything wrong? It's not for you. Just give it to me. And then sure enough, they watch me out the door. Like, oh, my God, he went to Kim's office. And, you know, before I even get the pen out, everybody knows I'm writing Kim up. It's the greatest move I've ever heard. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like what Bridgewater does, right? Bridgewater's a big hedge fund that's famous for having radical transparency and anyone can sit on any meeting and anyone can call anyone out. And Ray Dalio, CEO, gets, you know, emails from people saying, I thought you were very unprepared in this meeting. I was very disappointed in you. And like, 
takes it to the nth degree. Yeah, I don't know if I'm I'm that, but uh, <laughs> okay. I see some, some some similarities in terms of the transparency, no, but you know, yeah, no and, and to... there there really is no. I really do appreciate transparency. I think that it goes right to the core of everything, which is fairness, and and it has to be fair. Yeah. But the only the only thing that I have a little bit of a problem with, I'm going to say it, and I want to take it back, even though I'm going to say it, is I want to say again with the quorum and having the you know knowing how to say what you say. I mean, one, it's one thing to call somebody out. It's another thing to do it rudely and as a smart yeah. aleck. And, it, you know, I, I appreciate a couple of things like Steve Jobs. There's a great story about Steve Jobs and he had two groups of engineers and they were pitching these two different ideas. It was the same idea, but two different ways of going about it. Yeah. And one guy was like, this is the way I'm telling you this is the way you got to do it. And the other guy was like, you're crazy. This is the way you got to do it. And Steve Jobs go, he goes to the wrong the person was wrong. He goes to the guy, the other guy who had the right idea, and he says that it was his fault because he didn't work hard enough to convince him. I, so I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> you know, like that's a little I mean, we talk about putting the onus on the on the on the manager, like, well, you should have worked harder to convince me. You know, so I have a little bit of that, but then I also okay. know like there's a lot of plane crashes, or used to be a lot of plane crashes, where there was such a level of you know, one, the, the, the co-pilot number two couldn't talk to the pilot and you never disrespected or argued and then a plane crashed because of it and 200 people died. So I, I'm not a fan of that either. I'm not a fan yeah. of that kind of an absolute and I'm not a fan of, of the flippancy of it at yeah. all. But if you have, I'm completely open and, and really, really open to the idea of complete transparency. As a matter of fact, I just... I was just doing some some talking about how to deal with a a complaining employee, an employee who's always complaining about something. And this is a guy named Jocko Willink. Have you ever heard of Jocko Willink? He was just talking oh, yeah. about it. He was yeah. just talking about how to deal with a, 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 a negative employee who's constantly being negative. And they were talking about there. So I get it's easy to get frustrated with a negative employee, somebody who complains all the time. And he was saying, you know, all you have to do is take out a pen and just like write down like, like let's hear your full complaint and you, if you do that you're gonna find some threat some nugget some truth down there and i think that that's where I, I that's where i need to do a little more work is finding taking the time to find that truth so i can solve that problem because i'm yeah. sure everybody who works for me who is complaining right now which there are many <laughs> it probably has some legitimate complaint that they're that they're trying to yeah. express, but they're doing it through a bullhorn that I can't understand that little piece. So yeah, no, that's interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. I like it all. I like it all. There you go. So Ralph, I want to transition a little bit. So um, one of the things that we also talk about on the podcast is um, a little bit about personal finance. And so background, that's what I do. CEO of a FinTech company that focuses on financial well-being. And so I'd love to understand throughout your sort of like life and like where you are today, how would you describe your relationship with money? Fantastic, actually. Pretty great. Pretty great. And it took me, well, too long to get pretty great. The idea, I, I grew up lower middle class. So the idea of having $10 in your pocket, just to have $10 in your pocket, was never even a concept I even understood, right? Yeah. Having a $100 bill, with nothing to do with it. Just have a $100 bill in your pocket for no reason. 
wasn't a concept I ever even heard anybody did. The only reason you had money was to buy something. And the only reason you earned money was to spend money. I mean, that's it. That's, that's the extent yeah. of it. There was no, if you had a savings account, and that's a very big if, it was yeah. only to save up for something more expensive that you wanted to work towards to buy. That was it. I remember the first time that I had $10,000 in my savings account. Like I just kept saying, just saving $10,000. And I remember thinking, mm -hmm. it happened and it was like this, holy cow, you know, and you can't tell anybody, right? Like you can't say, oh my God, I just have $10,000 because yeah. everybody's like, what are you gonna, you know, let me have a couple of bucks. And so the first time I had $10,000 in my pocket, in my bank account, I was literally, I went from like, oh, that's so cool to, I mean, immediately, like super fast to, what can I, you know, like, what could I buy with it? And then, and then, you know, you got to kind of check yourself. Like, what if, what if it's okay to have $10,000 in the bank? What if that's okay? What if you didn't do anything with it? What if you forgot you had it? And then you start getting comfortable with it. So all of a sudden, yeah. that's what, that's the big thing, getting comfortable with having $10,000. It's okay. Yeah. Couple months goes by. I'm comfortable with ten thousand dollars. Don't even think about it. It's there, no big deal. Yeah. What if I had twenty thousand dollars? Hmm? Now we're talking. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I had twenty thousand dollars in the bank, do you know what I could buy? That's immediately what I think. <laughs> Idiot. Like, no, no. But what if you just? All right, maybe twenty is too high. Let's let's go twelve <laughs> five. Let's go twelve five. So, so right now, I think I have a really healthy relationship with. The idea of having money and not spending it, just not spending it. And yeah, I live, I live on Long Island in New York and I'm just outside of the city. And about, I don't know, six, eight months ago, maybe even a year ago, I don't know if they, if they started to increase the amount they charge for credit cards or whatever for stores, but every store decided to add a credit card fee. Everybody, if you're going to use your debit card, it's an extra two, 3% on top of the transaction. Well, that pissed me off so much that I carry cash with me everywhere. I, I, I'm the only yeah. one. I went back to cash. I ain't paying 3%. Yeah. I'm not paying 3% on gas. I'm not paying 3% on a coffee. <laughs> I'm not, you have to spend $10 or more. I'm not spending $10 or more. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's where I'm at. I, but it's taken me. It's taken me, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think I could do it with a hundred thousand. You know, if I had a hundred thousand in the bank, I don't know how that made me feel. Made me feel a little uncomfortable yeah. right this second. But, you know, cause it, it, it's a real, my son, my son is 30 right now, but when he was, maybe he was 20 years old for his birthday, I got him a hundred dollar bill in a frame and he thought it was the dumbest gift in the entire <laughs> world. He's like, who the hell put, is it an old hundred dollar? I'm like, no, it's brand new. Is it unique? No, it's it's a regular. Is there some mistake? No, there's no mistake. He's like, why would you put it in a frame? I said, because I want you to be comfortable with having a hundred dollars and not spending it. Wow. He spends it about eight days later. So he's still struggling, <laughs> but but, see, but sincerely, but sincerely, that's how I got comfortable with money. Yeah. And, and it's very low money, just $10, being okay with having it. I know people who could not have a $10 bill in their pocket for no reason. They couldn't do it. Yeah. If you, let's just put $10 in your pocket, don't spend it. And, and I'm not saying don't spend it for a year. Don't spend it. 
there's no end to it. Just don't, just always have $10 in your pocket. $10, yeah. People can't do it. No, yeah. Simply can't do it. It's, it's a problem. It's interesting that you point that out. It's, I guess moving so what into- what about you? How are you with money? You good with money? <laughs> yeah. You comfortable with holding on to it? <laughs> yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's something that we, you know, just don't teach people. As you said, the whole, ever since you're a kid, it's commercials, go buy this, you need this, you just- this you've been such a good manager you've been promoted you've whatever done all x now y, you can and Z. afford buy this, this. now you can that. afford that now you, yeah great yeah now oh now mm -hmm. that you hit x amount you deserve to go get a new car and mm -hmm. not just any new car but you need a luxury car and you need mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's that's a challenge um it really is and it's doing a disservice to to you know people's futures but um well yeah. unless you're the what person you who's selling the stuff that they're buying then you know then you're doing then you're doing fine. So pretty good. You know, I, I, I don't be, I'm, I'm not taking Ubers a lot right now because, um, because of the coronavirus, but I travel a lot. I speak a lot all over the country when, when there was yeah. no virus going on. And so I take a lot of Ubers. And one of the funnest things that I like to do is, especially when you meet a young guy, young girl from some other country who's driving an Uber. And I always want to know what their side hustle is. Right. So what's your side hustle? You know, they haven't figured it out yet. And yeah. so I say, listen, I said, the only thing I want you to do, if you get anything out of me, I want you to Google million dollar mistakes. Just Google million dollar mistakes. And you'll see hundreds of pages, pages and pages about companies that made millions, like lost legitimately lost millions of dollars over making this mistake. They shouldn't have done it that way. They shouldn't have done yeah. it this way. They made a bad decision here. I'm like, all you have to be is one mistake. One mistake. Be one mistake for one company. Yeah. You can rake it in. I mean, because that's how much money is in the economy. Was in the economy. There's still, still is being pumped there in. Still is. Just yeah, it still way. is. Yeah, my my, my point is. Invest oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. My only my only point is is that there are a lot of people who know money, and the truth is they are surrounded by people who have millions in their pocket, and they don't even realize it. It's yeah. everywhere, and people are willing. People want. That dirt burning desire that I had growing up as a kid to spend every dime I have, that's not just me. And it's not just with people who only have $10. People who have millions of dollars are the same way. They just can't wait to spend it. Can't wait to find something new. All you have to do is provide value. It's so easy. Providing value is so simple. So simple. Yeah. What would you say is the best investment you've made moving away from just the savings and spending? Well, I have my worst investment story, if you want to hear that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can start with that. I got that one next, but let's just go to that. Whatever you say is your worst. <laughs> no, my, my, best, my best is um, I, I played a lot uh, uh, in the long-term care business. So because I work in long-term care, there's a lot of public companies yeah. that provide services that are public for long-term care. There's a lot of long-term care companies that are nursing homes. And because I'm in that field, I have a pretty good feel for both the industry and the market. And I'm pretty good read on them. I get pretty, I'm a pretty good read looking at, looking at a company and going, all right, they're going to do well or they're not going to do well. And I know when their highs and yeah. lows are because, you know, everything's centric, uh, 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 circular in markets. Yeah. You know, every, as we know, I mean, every January, a big box store is going to have a pretty be better number than every June, right? Like we, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's the same thing yeah. with long-term care. There are, there are, are busts and, and famines and beasts and famines in long-term care as well. So I, so I do, I do pretty well 
have historically always just played in the long-term care market. And I like everything from housekeeping companies to food service companies to actual nursing home operators that are doing really great to pharmacy companies that provide for long-term care. Because, it, you know, again, in, yeah. in our industry, in long-term care, it's a growing industry. Last year, I think we've added 84,000 jobs as an industry. Wow. We were, that's bigger than Walmart. You know, that's bigger. Walmart didn't add 84,000 jobs last year. Long-term yeah. care did, right? So it's a, it's a really growing industry and, you know, technology and long-term care is getting out of control. It's getting really great. And, and, and so I like all that. So I like long-term care. Yeah. But let me tell you about the worst thing I've ever did. Worst thing I ever did was with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters. You've heard of Green Mountain Coffee Roasters out of Vermont? Sure. Okay. So Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, they have a terrible, terrible, I don't, I don't even think it was a quarter. I think they might've had a terrible year and it ended and this is maybe 15 years ago. It, and their stock was always, at the time, prior, prior to this, them having a meltdown, their stock was trading around, you know, $90, $100 a share, which is pricey. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, the shares I'm buying are generally 35, 40 bucks a share, you know, in, in long-term care, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, it's not yeah. too high dollar. Uh, so there's like a hundred, it's a luxury share. I mean, if you wanted to buy any significant amount of shares, if you want to have any chance of making any money, you know, could yeah. you imagine trying to buy a thousand shares at a hundred dollars a share? I mean, it's, it's just a, a thing. Well, they had this terrible quarter or two and the shares went down to like 30 bucks. And I, I'm like, I have all this money. I have an E-Trade account. I like cash out a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to go buy as much Green Mountain Coffee Roasters stock as I can with this little bit of money I have because I'm going to because they're such a great company. There's no way they're going to maintain this low uh, value they had. Yeah. So I get to my office and I have a friend of mine there. His name's Chris. And I hope he hears this because I still need to be busting him 15 years later. He says, I tell him I'm going to be buying this stock on coffee. So it's all in my mind. I'm like, don't talk to me. I'm going to buy this coffee. Green Mountain, I'm going to buy this stock. He says, um, he says, you know, if you like coffee, there's this great coffee company called Caribou Coffee. And it's really great. And you can watch and you can see that every year they do better this time of the year. And so you're right at the right time to buy it. You're right, right now is the time to buy this Caribou Coffee. Because in another three months, if you look historically, and he's right, it does this, you know, every, every three, yeah, four yeah. months. He's right, like you're, and, I'm, and I have the money right at that precipice. I'm like, wow, that's really smart. Maybe, and he's got me thinking. And so now I'm not willing to press the buy button because now I'm just looking. And I haven't yeah. got time because I'm at work. I just get to work. I don't really have time to just sit there and do all the math and crank the numbers. So all day is just eating happen. And, and not only that, but the caribou coffee is like a, like a $12 stock. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> and if it does, you know, what he's saying it'll do and what it looks like it might do, maybe that is the better op opportunity. Long story short, of course, I buy the caribou coffee stock. I spend every dime I can muster to get into it. <laughs> Quarter goes by, and I mean, Green Mountain Coffee Roasters stock right now is like almost 300, right? Like it's at a crazy number per share. And, the, and I cashed out, I cashed out the caribou stock mad. I got out because I, I was just mad. I, got, I almost quit my job so I didn't have to work with Chris anymore. <laughs> I think I sold it at 1380. <laughs> like, I mean, like a dollar 80 a share. Where Green Mountain Coffee, I would have tripled, quadrupled my, like, so crazy. Yeah, Don't yes. listen to your friends. That's the 
you know? Don't listen, exactly. <laughs> Don't listen to your friends. Do your own math. That's where I failed. I didn't do, I didn't pull out a calculator. I just did my head going, you know. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing everyday Americans when it comes to finances? Well, I would, I'm going to say it in, in two different ways. I think if you're single, whether you're a man or a woman, I don't think it matters, but if you're single, your biggest challenge with finances is not, it is being single, right? It's not having that dual income. Cause I mean, if you really okay. want to get rich uh, and you really want to have some money, I think though, and I'm not making this adage up, I'm, I'm really repeating it is you get married and you stay married, right? That's, that's you, you partner up with somebody and you stay partnered mm -hmm. up with somebody for a married person with kids the biggest challenge we have is trying to over provide for our kids i mean we're i meet people all the time who are willing to sell their own home to 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 purchase their kid an education that quite frankly i mean i'm not a, i'm not a big fan of college i real i have a i went to college i i well i let me full disclosure I quit high school when I was 16 because I knew everything. But um, <laughs> I eventually got my GED, which led me to the community college, which I got an associate's degree in creative writing. And then I got a bachelor's degree in US history. Then I got a second bachelor's degree in business administration. And then I got a master's degree in organizational leadership. And I just got accepted for a PhD in organizational leadership. So I'm not against education. I see the value in it. I just know that me at 18, no yeah. value, no value. And the idea, I mean, there are people, it's okay. Listen, I have no gripes with somebody spending $300,000 to rate, you know, to send their kid to college for four years. Great. Except if you don't have, or, or, or if all you have is that mm -hmm. you're willing to sell your house for that. That's super short-sighted. And I think that that's the big plague of married people with kids is they're yeah. They're trying to, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, it's twofold. Like everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses and I see it and I just, you know, you're just yeah. back there going, why are you spending all that? It doesn't make any sense to me. I've seen, I've seen kids get scholarships and they, and the kid turned it down because it's not the school they wanted to go to. Who gives a crap if it's the school, they're giving you money, you go to that school. <laughs> but again, I broke, <laughs> I, I, woke, I, I grew up broke. So what do I know? Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think that's, that's interesting. what it is. Yeah. 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 No, and I like that you brought up the the parental side of it too, because I think that's, I mean, that's definitely a soft spot. Like you want to give your kids a better life and provide for them and all that stuff. So, you know, at what point do you cross a line where it's like, am I putting everything and I'm not going to be able to be safe or secure in the future? You're in the long-term care business. I'm sure you see all the time folks oh that make God, that it's mistake. Terrible. It's terrible. It's really, really, really terrible when you're, you're, if you're the, if you're the type of person and listen, I've got a, I've got a love affair with long-term care. It's the industry for me. It's the one I've been in for a long time. I, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm telling you, there are people in long-term care that are surprised they're there. And, and I'll say a, a majority, a, a lot of people can't believe this is their life. They cannot believe it. People are shocked. They're like, this is it. This is the end of, this is what the end of life looks like. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to. You don't have to end up that way. There's plenty, plenty of money out there. There's plenty of opportunity. Don't, don't be lazy. Don't rest on your laurels. Get out there and get after it. I mean, 
I started my own company three years ago and I dreamed and dreamed, I mean, for years, decades, at least a decade about owning my own company, about going on my own. Always the biggest fear. Can I do it? Should I do it? Am I able to? I was a salaried manager. I was a regional director for this company. I got paid every two weeks, whether I showed up for work or not, whether I did a good job or not, whether I let God in late, left early, my paycheck was the same every two weeks. I thought when that first happened, I thought I made it. I, like I won the lottery. I'm like, that's the greatest thing ever. You know what it turns out to be? It turns out to be a trap. It turns out to be jail. It turns out to be that you're not willing to step outside. You're not willing to create. You're not willing to, to try anything because you don't want to, you know, I don't want to cause any waves. I'll just rather accept this meager existence of mine. And it really bothered me. It really bothered me that, I mean, it's like being a, it's like being addicted to, to, to drugs, you know, like you just, yeah, you're afraid to give something up. You're on this hamster wheel and you're afraid to get off because if you get off, then it's going to, you're going to have to try to figure something out. So one of the most scariest times of my life was when I gave up that position and no longer had a check coming in. I mean, I sit here right now. I yeah. don't have any idea. It's a Tuesday. I have no idea who's going to pay me on Friday. I don't have anybody paying me on Friday, to be clear. I don't have a check this week coming in. I don't. Right. So I, I'm a solo entrepreneur. I have two people who work for me full time. And we are getting after it every single day, trying to get revenue, trying to get, get, trying to get contracts, get contracts, get contracts. But one of the biggest challenges, what I made trying to get into, start my own company was, I thought I had to have the company before I got the client. Oh, looking at it wrong. Looking yeah. at it wrong. Sell that company before you even have it. That's how you do it. Get the client, get the contract signed. That's what happened to me. I got, I had a chance encounter with somebody in, a, in, in the end of November of 2016. And mm -hmm. he said, you know, if you were a consultant, like if you offered this as a service, I would sign a contract with you now. I said, you're in luck, brother. I am a consultant. I wasn't. <laughs> I still work for another company. I signed that contract. I said, he's like, when do you start? I said, I'm actually busy until January. You're another four or five weeks. He goes, that's perfect. Give me time to get my people in line. I'm like, perfect. Put my notice in. Started my company on January 7th, 2017. <laughs> Sold the contract before I took, you know, before I quit my, my job, but it's three years. And yeah, I mean, you know, knock on wood. I mean, we're still going strong during the coronavirus. So, but again, we work in healthcare. So we're in a little lucky sweet spot yeah. where, you know, it's not like I'm a brainiac. I just happen to be in the industry. Everybody needs while the coronavirus is going on. I could have easily been in schools. And you know who's working in schools? Nobody, you know, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. I mean, I that's a little bit of, anything, but. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that are out of your control. So it's yeah. Yeah, nice that you landed in that industry. What would you, yeah. what's, what's been the best and worst part of entrepreneurship, starting your own business? The best and the worst part, there are so many great things and so many things that are terrible. Um, <laughs> no, I, they, the, the, I don't think there are any bad parts. So let me, let me start off okay. with that. Cause even things like I'm going to, I was going to say like um, my initial thought about some of the worst things about being an entrepreneur is not having a consistent paycheck, but that's actually good for me. It might not be good for you. It might not be good for some people. Some people need the consistency. They need the structure that, you know, for me, I'm, 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 I'm a cold caller. I'm a cold caller. A lot of people are like, you know, how do you, how do you make sales? And what kind of marketing marketing? I, hi, is this John? 
<laughs> That's how I, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, I owe all my businesses through cold calls and contacts that I've already, you know what I mean? People who've yeah. already, who I know, I, the idea that people are like, you know, you shouldn't do cold calling. That's the way to get, how else are they going to know about you? I'm going to send them a postcard I and mean, come on. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of cold calling, uh, but I hate cold calling just like everybody else. Yeah. Worked. I think that's one of the best things and first things about being a, an entrepreneur is the best thing is that you find out what works. And the worst thing is some of the things that work suck to do, you know, like it sucks <laughs> to cold call. It sucks to always, I, I never call anybody. It's hard. It's hard to call anybody without also going, by the way, if you need any help or if there's any way I can assist, assist you, you know, you don't always want to end the call that way, but I always end the call that way. You know why? Because I am, I'm, I'm in business. I'm not in, I, I'm not, I'm not, um, oh my God, Zig Ziglar used to say it, the great Zig Ziglar. He said, you're not a professional visitor. And, and I got to remind myself of that because I'll get caught up in being a professional visitor. I'm like everybody's best friend. Haven't made a single sale. It's not <laughs> helpful. Not helpful. You know, so yeah. that's both the worst and the best thing about it is, is the worst thing about it is you, you're, you got to constantly be pushing. And the, and the best thing about it is, is when you're constantly pushing, you win a lot. Yeah. Let me say this too. Here's the absolute best, and it doesn't matter my lowest days, the worst things that's ever happened to me ever in my entire life doesn't even come close to the luxury I have of doing what I absolutely love doing. And I don't know if you could tell by this interview, but I love management. I love talking about it. I love talking to people about it. I love showing people how to do it. I love writing about it. I have three number one best-selling books. I I wake up thinking about management. I go to bed thinking about it. I read about it. I write about it. I talk about it. I mean, can you imagine having a, being able to do this for a living? I mean, come on. There's, you could take one of my legs tomorrow and I go, you know, it's really not that bad. That bad. <laughs> <laughs> I love well, it. That, I just, that passion. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I can definitely ever. tell from the conversation. You, uh, you really do enjoy what you do and help. I love it managers be successful so what else would you like to share with the audience obviously want to know how they can connect with you after this and uh, if they're interested uh books as well as consulting all that stuff but uh yeah anything i'll give you the floor and and let you take it out you know honestly if anybody wanted to reach out and if you heard anything that said you know hey it resonated with you and you're like hey maybe it'd be nice working with this guy it's ralphpeterson.com that's easy it's super easy. Just go to my name.com. You'll find everything you need to know about me and how to get a hold of me. But if I could end this any way I wanted to, I would say this to everyone who has either always wanted to be in leadership or has already tried it and failed. It's already been, already been fired. Mm -hmm. Let me say this. Getting fired in leadership is part of the problem. Or I mean, it's part of the job. You're going to make mistakes that people can't afford. And a lot of times you make mistakes that quite frankly, people didn't, weren't able to foresee and probably should have foreseen and made it so that you didn't make, get fired over it. Give leadership another chance. Give yourself another chance. There is no better position in the world than to help other people feel special. And you can only do that in a position of leadership. You can't do it. And I'm talking consistently, systematically, day after day after day. There is no other job in the world that gives you the ability to help people the way managers systematically are able to help people. So if you've ever had an England for doing it, even if you have failed, especially if you have tried it and it didn't work, 
You should know that learning how to manage is a process. There's bumps and bruises. Sometimes you're doing it blind. Sometimes you're doing it with somebody who thinks they know everything. Sometimes you're with somebody who doesn't know a damn thing and they admit it. It's worth doing it again. Try it again. And if you haven't tried it, do it. And do it with the expectation that even if you get it wrong today, you can get it wrong tomorrow. That's uh, really, really powerful. And as you mentioned, we're lacking leaders. So We need people to step up, to have high morals, to say, you can count on me. I'll take the lead. I'll do it. We need everywhere in every country, in every industry, private, public, government, small, big, doesn't matter. We need managers. We need good, good managers. People who are willing and able. Ah, we just need it. We need it. The big need. Yeah. Do the world some good. Stand up and be in charge. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> we need some leadership right now. Well, yeah. Ralph, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you uh, sitting down and coming on the podcast and talking to us about uh, your experience. I appreciate you having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. That concludes today's episode of the Silicon Alley podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others that are in management or thinking about going into management. So that way they can also get the same value that you got from the episode. Now, please, if you have not already, subscribe, follow, and rate the podcast on whichever podcasting platform you're listening or viewing the podcast from. Thank you so much for being a listener and watcher of the Silicon Alley podcast. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, your host of the Silicon Alley podcast. Until next time, thanks so much. Have a great day. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying I'm